So the reading this morning is from John chapter 17. It can be found on page 1085 in your Bibles. We're going to start at verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, and they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we begin. We just prayed, our gracious Heavenly Father, open my eyes that I might know more of your grace that my eye might grow. And that is our prayer, our Heavenly Father, this morning, that as we look at this topic of the church, that you would transform us by your grace 
so that we may, as a church community, grow up into the fullness of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're breaking with our usual pattern of working through the book of Genesis to focus on a different topic. Um, That's partly because uh, half the congregation are on the men's weekend, uh, probably uh, looking forward to a nice lunch, having polished off a fried breakfast, I guess, something like that. And um, partly because uh, I was expecting a child and um, uh, children don't really work well with preaching rotors and that sort of thing. So Clive thought, uh, give me this one-off topic and uh, hopefully that will fit around uh, the birth of our son who's arrived and is very healthy and thank you very much for your prayers. Um, So I've been given this topic of the church, one holy Catholic apostolic and I've missed one out, one holy Catholic and apostolic and um, to be honest, when I first read that title, um, if I'm a little bit honest, and no one tell Clive, but I didn't feel this kind of rush of excitement at speaking on this topic. Uh, you uh, may be better than I am, uh, you probably are, but uh, you'll probably recognize those words come from the creed we read out at communion, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And um, as I say, you might be better than I am, but I don't know how you feel when you read the creed. Sometimes it can feel like we're just getting through the stuff that's kind of sweeping up other topics. Or perhaps uh, it can feel a bit sometimes like uh, it's just an indicator that we're near the end and we've finally got through this massive document. You you start well, you get out of the blocks, you're happy to declare the stuff on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you get to the churchy bit, and it's kind of, yeah, one holy Catholic and apostolic, and we're near the end. But um, maybe that's not you, maybe that's just me, and I'm just showing up my sinfulness. But it is easy, isn't it, sometimes to to have these words come off our tongue and not have them come from our hearts. But I've got to say, having looked at this topic, I've had to repent of my apathy, because each word contains a profound truth within it. And I'm actually convinced that if we grasp just a fraction of each of these words and what they stand for, it would utterly transform the way we see ourselves and the way we see each other as a church. And my plan this morning is to just give us a helicopter view of these four ideas. Um, Each one, you could write a whole book on them, and um, I know you want to get home to a roast dinner, so I'm not going to do that for you, Um, but I'm going to give us just a general overview. Uh, I want us to think for each of them, what do they mean, and then why do they matter to us at St. Mary's? Um, We're going to think about holy, and then one Catholic, uh, and then apostolic, and you'll see I've combined two in one in point two to make sure it's a three-point sermon. And the way I want us to do this is to explore from John 17, uh, because I think here all the ideas are at play. Um, Someone called John 17 holy ground, because it's here that we see Jesus pray and what he prays about. Now, um, it's not remarkable that Jesus prayed. We're told that Jesus prayed a lot, but it is remarkable. We're told in such detail what he prays about. And do you know what he prays about? We're given a whole chapter of it. He prays about the church. It's remarkable. And we're going to see what he says about the church. So first of all then, we are a holy church. And perhaps that feels a bit strange to say, and perhaps it raises the immediate question, how are we holy? You're aware of the problems in the church, uh, nationally and globally. It feels like month after month we've had a story uh, about a big church leader who's abused their position of power. And if you've been in the local church any length of time, you'll know that there is lots of heartache and upset, and holiness is probably not the word 
you would come to think of first. And if we're honest and turn the microscope on our own hearts, actually we perhaps wouldn't use the adjective holy either. But look at what Jesus says about the church in verse 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. Now that word sanctify, um, you'll see there's a little footnote in your um, Bibles. This is really handy here. Because sanctify just means to make holy. Um, You could use the word holify. I think people should, but no one seems to have followed me. Um, And Jesus prays that his church be holy, holified. See, that's what we're declaring in the creed each time we say it. We say that it's a holy church. But again, that just raises a question. What's happened? Is it that Jesus' prayer here has not been answered when you look at the state of the church as it is today? Well, we need to ask the question, what it means for uh, the church to be holy. Um, I don't think you can understand verse 17 without verses 18 and 19. Have a look at those. He says, as you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. See, when Jesus is talking about um, the church being holy, it's not talking about its moral purity or its um, ability to to live for God uh, over and above other people. See, if it was that, verse 19 wouldn't make much sense because Jesus says, I sanctify myself. Jesus is perfectly pure. He doesn't need any more moral purity. So what does it mean then? Well, verse 18 gives us a clue. It's about being sent. It's about being set aside for a different purpose. That's what holy seems to mean here. Now, a few weeks ago, I gave um, an illustration on this about my cutlery drawer. And the thing, when you, the thing is, when you land on a, um, an illustration that kind of works, it's really annoying because you've used it and um, you can kind of reinvent it, but people see what you're doing. So I just thought I'd say it again, and I'm sorry if you were here a couple of weeks ago to hear about it. Um, you'll just have to uh, be bored for the next couple of seconds. Um, I explained at home we have different drawers uh, for different cutlery. We've got our IKEA cutlery. Um, pretty cheap. It's all beaten up. It's used for everyday use. And then we have our wedding cutlery from 2007. This steel, stainless steel, I guess, um, cutlery set that's very um, not so beaten up as the other stuff. And um, the thing is, we only get that cutlery out when we have a very special guest or a very special dinner. Except now that because I've said this publicly, I have to get out every time someone from St. Mary's comes for fear of offending them. And the thing is, we have It's right to say we have holy cutlery. We have cutlery set aside because it's special for a special purpose. And Jesus is saying that the church is holy. It's not saying it's perfect. It's not saying it's morally pure. It's saying that this group of people, God himself has set aside for himself and his purposes. See, the the church is not just some club or society. Now, clubs and societies aren't bad, but they're created by people for people. The church is completely different. It is created by God for God. I hope you realize that when we come together on a Sunday, we're not coming together because we're a group of people who happen to be into churchy things. We watch songs of praise and we think we love a bit more of that, so we come on a Sunday. Not that there's anything wrong with songs of praise. We, we gather because... God has set us aside as holy people. It's remarkable, isn't it, when you think about it? Especially when you consider who Jesus is praying for here. 
See, he, he prays for his disciples, and if you know any of John or any of the Gospels, you'll know that these are flawed individuals. One of them ends up denying Jesus three times. All of them flee at his moment of greatest need, and yet Jesus calls them holy. This broken, sinful, flawed set of individuals, God himself has set aside. See, you and I, if we're part of the church, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, are called holy, not because of any special boast we have, or any credentials, not because we're better than others. The church is just a museum of saints, uh, not a museum of saints, rather. But because of the cross, because of Jesus' work, and because he has set us aside for God. I wonder if we see ourselves as St. Mary's as primarily about that. We do a lot of good things here at St. Mary's, I think. Uh, We have a lot of great social events. Uh, We have lots of fun activities. It's great seeing lots of people, catching up with people. But first and foremost, we're not about those things. First and foremost, we are a church because God has made us into one. He has called us holy. Now, we could say a lot more about that, and um, uh, we definitely could, but I want us to push on and think about this second implication, because it's not just that we're holy, but also we're one Catholic church. Now, um, there's two ideas there. I've smuggled them into one point, uh, just to cut down time, but um, uh, I want us to deal with each of those points, and the first being the Catholic idea, because I guess for lots of us, it will raise that question, why do we say Catholic? I mean, I had a conversation with someone after church, and they said to me, why have we still got this in the creed? Why have you not taken it out? Now, it's important to see that when we say Catholic, we're not saying Roman Catholic. See, we're not kind of smuggling in the idea that we're part of the Roman Catholic Church, far from it. What are we saying? Well, the word Catholic literally means uh, according to the whole. Or as someone um, puts it more helpfully, universal. So you could read out the creed and say one universal church. But I guess for lots of us, that's still pretty confusing, isn't it? What does it mean that it's a universal church? Well, it's saying that the church isn't just one culture. That the church isn't just confined to one corner of the world, one ethnic group, one gender, one class. But it's Catholic. It's made up of all types of people from every tribe and tongue, language and nation. See, To be Catholic is to recognize that not every church has to be like St. Mary's. I love St. Mary's, but not every church around the world has to be uh, another St. Mary's. The church is bigger than that, and that's okay. Now, why is this important? Well, it's so that we don't equate Christianity with one culture. See, when the um, creed was being formed, um, the idea of a creed is really a declaration of what we believe as Christians. It, It kind of draws a fence around what the Bible says, and says, this is orthodox, this is in, and this is outside. And uh, the reason people came up with creeds in the early church was because there were a lot of false ideas going around. And one of the reasons people said an idea was false was because it wasn't Catholic. See, the thing is, in the early church, when um, new heresies popped up, um, it would often be very exclusive. It would be around one charismatic individual, or one particular area of the world, or some kind of intelligent class or something like that. And uh, it was a very exclusive kind of teaching. And the church fathers said, no, that can't be right, because the gospel isn't like that. It's not exclusive. It is for everyone. 
It's quite a helpful little test today. If someone pops up claiming they've got this secret that the rest of the church hasn't got, that's a good reason to run a mile or show them the hand. See, the church is Catholic. It's believed by different people all over the world. Now, unlike Clive, I haven't done a lot of overseas travel, so I've not got many stories to draw upon. I've been to lots of the Spanish costas, but you probably don't want to hear about that. Um, but the one big overseas travel I did was to Uganda. And uh, for me, it was a huge shock because it was a completely different culture. It was so different that people didn't really understand my humor. Now, I'm pretty used to that over here, but it was even worse over there. <laughs> I remember in one talk I gave, I um, said something like, uh, I don't really understand animals because I live in London. And uh, people completely got the wrong end of the stick. And they said, what, there aren't animals in England? People were asking me about it all, all week. I was like, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, but, but it was wonderful. Even though there was that great cultural difference, it was the same gospel. And it's remarkable when you think about it. It wasn't that we kind of just ironed out all cultural difference, so the Ugandans became English or the English became Ugandan. Actually, they were still Ugandan, still English, but the gospel was still believed and still lived out. And it was a great visual illustration for me of the, the church being Catholic. Now, the other side of the coin is that we're one Catholic church Um, See, we could say the word Catholic to mean that the church is made up of lots of different churches for different cultures. But look at what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of the name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And verse 21, uh, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. See, becoming a Christian doesn't just affect the vertical. It doesn't just sort out our relationship with God. It affects the horizontal as well. We become one with other Christians. Now, notice in these verses what it means to be one. In verse 11, he says that they may become one as we are one. And in verse 21, just as you are in me and I am in you. See, when he says we're one, he's saying we're one like the Father is one with the Son. Now, it's not saying we're the same. The Father and the Son are different persons. But just as they are one in purpose, in desire, in love, so we are to be one. It's incredible, that, isn't it? Jesus has chosen the most intimate relationship in the universe to describe his church. As a father, you, um, I guess you're naturally pretty connected to your children. Um, and um, one of the ways I find myself connected is emotionally with my children. So that when they're happy, I'm pretty happy. Uh, when they're having a great time dancing up uh, wherever, I'm having a great time watching them. And, and when they have a bad time, at school, or preschool, or whatever, actually I feel some of that as well. See, in one sense, we're one. What happens to them happens to me, but actually, that is nothing compared to God the Father and God the Son. See, they feel that connection on a scale that we cannot imagine. And here's the thing. Jesus says, this is what the church is like. This is what you're like with one another. See, I don't know about you, but perhaps this is me just being cynical and you're a lot more... um, 
you, know, you respond a lot better than I do. But I, I can hear that idea that the church is one and feel a bit like, oh, it's a bit of marketing to kind of pull us together. I don't know if you see on um, the BBC One, they have these title screens and uh, the BBC One logo pops up and then it says oneness. Anyone seen that? Or is it just me that watches television? No one watches television here. All right, forget it. <laughs> yes, good. Okay, so they, they have the idea of oneness and um, you get a kind of picture in the background of everyone kind of coming together and holding hands. And I don't know what the thinking was behind it, but I guess it's a reaction against our divided society. Uh, there's a little bit of an irony there, because the oneness is formed around shared activities. So if you're into kayaking or fly fishing or dog walking or whatever it may be. But I wonder if sometimes I think we can think of oneness like that, that we are kind of different, we all know it, but we should do a little bit better at coming together and stop arguing. But here's the thing, the church isn't trying to become one. The church is already one. We're not trying to pretend that we're family. We are one family. God has made us into that. Here's what Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the point? God has made us one, and our great privilege is to reflect that as a church. See, if you're part of a church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are already one with other Christians. And the church is not just a kind of spiritual drive-through where we can just pop in and get our own personal salvation and then pop off again. It is becoming part of one family, one Catholic family, from the oldest to the youngest, from the highest IQ to the lowest, to the furthest east to the furthest west, we are one. I remember seeing this in Uganda. Um, I've spoken about some of the cultural differences, but here's the thing, I never felt so at home. See, those people are completely different culturally, but they treated me like their family. I remember I was doing some training in one of the colleges there, and we came to lunch and uh, came to this table where we were all to sit, and it was full of soft drinks. I mean, I love soft drinks at the best of times. It's one of the things I get excited about in life, but I couldn't believe it. We got soft drinks in Uganda, uh, thousands of miles away, and they were not only provided for us, but they were provided for us by the students who had saved up, uh, used some of their money, which they don't have much of, to provide them for us. And, you know, I do get emotional drinking fizzy drinks, but this was even, this was something else. Because these people wanted to treat us as brothers and sisters because we're one family. I guess it's a big question for us as St. Mary's is, does our church reflect that? There are great examples of that. Uh, we've benefited these past couple of weeks from the generosity of others providing meals. Um, thank you so much for that, although my waistline doesn't thank you. Um, but uh, I do appreciate it. And I, I guess it has all sorts of implications, doesn't it? Where we sit on a Sunday, I guess, shows something about our oneness. How long we spend here on a Sunday shows something about our oneness. How much we mix with Christians during the week shows something about our oneness. It's a great privilege, isn't it, to be part of one family, one church. And Jesus prays that we would reflect that. 
Finally, uh, we, uh, and this is a bit shorter, we are an apostolic church. And I think this uh, final idea is one of the most challenged in our society today. And let me just deal with a bit of misunderstanding that you may have come across uh, when we say the word apostolic. We're not saying that the apostles kind of continue on. Um, you get this idea sometimes, uh, we used to see it in London, there were these big churches, uh, absolutely massive churches, and they would have big billboards outside, and they would say, led by Apostle X or Apostle Y. Now, we might not do that, but um, there is a kind of Church of england kind of version of this, with the idea that the bishops are now apostles, and the idea is that they form a line of succession from the original disciples. But that idea is not what the New Testament means by apostle. Uh, First of all, what does uh, the New Testament mean by apostle? Well, the word apostolic just means sent. And there's a neat little way of remembering this. Um, If you're familiar with post, uh, if you're under 30 years old, post was this thing where you'd write on a bit of paper and you'd put it in an envelope and you'd put it in this red thing called a letterbox and it would arrive magically like a text message or an email just after a few days and for some money. Um, And... uh, the idea is that um, apostolic's got the word post in it, it means sent. So whenever you see apostle, think sent. And actually, there are two types of apostles in this passage. And the first is a bit of a surprise. Have a look at uh, 17 verse 8. Jesus says this, For I have given them the words you gave me and accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And verse 23, I in them and you in me, may they, brought to, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. See, you and me, we can't see God the Father. We have no access to God the Father. But wonderfully, mercifully, God the Father has sent the Son into our world. See, Jesus is an apostle. He's the sent one. But look at what Jesus then does in verse 18. He says, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. See, it's not just Jesus that sends, but he then sends his disciples. See, um, I was listening to one commentator on this, and he was saying, uh, remember that Jesus actually never wrote anything. Um, actually, he did write one thing. He wrote in the sand uh, where, the, uh, where he met the adulterous uh, woman. And um, I guess that's not longer, no longer there. But it's remarkable, isn't it? Jesus wrote no books. He sent no tweets. He had no Instagram feed. The way we access Jesus is through the apostles. And you see that in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. As I've already hinted at, we had um, a baby was born uh, 10 days ago and uh, Turned our world upside down again. And um, I guess uh, I know lots of us found out last week as it was announced in the service. But how did you find out? I mean, none of you were in the delivery room. Thankfully, you wouldn't want to be. But I guess you found out because I sent a text to Clive and Clive told the service leader and the service leader told you guys. And it's kind of a natural process, isn't it? I guess we never think about it. It just seems very normal. And we're happy to trust it. And Jesus says that he has set in motion a similar process, that we cannot access the Father ourselves, but we have to trust Jesus. And the way we trust Jesus is through what the apostles say, 
what they've written in the New Testament. Here's a diagram for some of you diagrammy people uh, like me. Uh, Jesus is sent from the Father. Jesus sends his disciples, and then we believe on the basis of what they say. Now, this is not they get to write what they want. We're told earlier on in chapter 16 that the Spirit leads them in what they write. But the thing is, we're an apostolic church. If we're to come to know Jesus, it is through the apostles. Now, why does this matter so much? Well, imagine we didn't have apostles. See, how would you know God? How would you know Jesus? How would you know the significance of the cross? How would you know what his resurrection achieved? How would you know that what Jesus did applies to you now? Yes, there's a couple of historical records of Jesus, but nothing on the scale of the New Testament. And yet, this idea, I think, is challenged more than any of these ideas today. See, lots of us, I think, we like the idea of the church being holy. We like the idea of the church being one. It sounds inclusive. And we can kind of get our heads around the idea of the church being Catholic. But apostolic, to to base the church and its leadership on a 2,000-year-old document feels a bit restrictive. And people often trade off oneness against apostolic. We say that uh, to be one, we don't need to divide over doctrine. And so we kind of suppress, like a beach ball in the sea, the apostolic testimony. But can you see, that's not how Jesus sets things up. He creates one church, but the way he creates one church is through one revelation. It's through his apostles. And more positively, can you see what a gift the New Testament is to us as a church. It's not just a collection of ideas about God. It's not just some wise sayings. This is Jesus leading his church today. It's not just once in time, it's not just a once in time document, something to believe once and then build upon, but it is Jesus speaking and leading his church today. It's why as St. Mary's, the word is absolutely central in the service and in the week, and it's why it should always be, because this is the way Jesus governs his church. I know we've gone through those ideas very quickly this morning. We've seen the church is holy, it's set apart for God. The church is Catholic, it's not separate strands, it's one worldwide family. The church is apostolic, it's not making things up as it goes along, but believe in the apostles. And the big question is, is does our church line up with God's vision for the church. I guess it does in lots of ways, and in lots of ways we will continue to grow as a church. Do we see ourselves as holy? I know people got problems, I know we're very mixed, and I know we rub people up the wrong way, but do you see the person sitting next to you as set apart by God for him? Do we reflect oneness? I, I guess we're all very different, we probably wouldn't normally mix, Uh, lots of us, but we're one family. Do we live like that? And then thirdly, are we apostolic? Is the Bible central to our church life? Is it central to our own lives? And is it lived out as Jesus would want? Let's pray as we finish. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for this vision of the church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Please forgive me and for any others who have treated these ideas glibly and uh, not thought through their full implications, but we praise you, Father, 
for Jesus' work in making us this church. Please help us, our Father, to reflect that in all we do. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.